Warning. While Stephanie Meyer may have written Twilight for children and young adults, Twilight, a literary podcast, contains adult content. If that kind of stuff isn't your speed, feel free to stop here. Everyone else, please sit back and enjoy our explicit podcast. Hold on, stop what you're doing. There's no time for other things. Don't stop stop with your dishes or laundry. It's Twilight. It's a literary deep dive into the blood-sucking skins park in the world of Twilight. From a lifelong fan. And a first-time reader. Join us as we try to answer the question. Does, does it, it suck? You're in I got a lot of energy, babe. I know. We're back. Well, you know, I have a lot of energy too because I've been, I've been waiting uh, since we started this freaking podcast. Yeah. To get to these chapters. I can see why they're really good. They're really good. They're some I of my love favorite Jacob chapters. So yeah, there's some of my favorite. We'll get into it, but yeah. uh, some of the best writing I think Meyer's done. Uh, but we we are coming off a week off. Yeah. Uh, sorry about, sorry about that, that guys. It's just who knew. It was that difficult to build a porch. Um, I certainly did not. It was, yeah. My sister, uh, we were doing that for her. Only for her. No, and her boyfriend. Anyways, uh, we... We agreed to help. Severely underestimated how long and how much energy would go into that project. But we finished it. It looks great. Worth it. Happy birthday, twins. Haven't been paid yet. I don't know about you. Uh, we got paid in food oh. and friendship. Oh, I hate it. But since we have have been gone, we have gotten a lot of uh, messages about one topic, really, which I'm surprised by. So I just figured I should address it. Uh, a lot of people are at saying that we're um, a bunch of liberal, you know, freaks. Like, we're all just leftist losers. Like, like they think we're like a political podcast, uh, which is very <laughs> weird. But I just wanted to say, like, you know, we're... We we're are. Not, we're, well, we're... I mean, the pod, we we are, but like the podcast isn't. But like, you, you know, people assume a lot of things, but people probably don't realize that. Me, I'm actually registered as clinically depressed. And me, I'm actually registered as a Marxist. Yeah, so so I'm so, actually not liberal at all. Yeah, we're not. I, I'm just sad. And <laughs> and you uh, read a book <laughs> that wasn't written by Ayn Rand, and um, you know that's where you landed. And I don't, because you love uh, Der Kapital <laughs> or Das Kapital. Uh, you, I've never actually read any of these works. I'm not a Marxist. Yeah, but, um, um, that's funny. We've been getting. I did not know that we've been getting those kinds of messages. Because we haven't. I just made that up for the oh, bit. Oh, you son of a bitch! I just came up with the idea of I'm registered as clinically depressed, <laughs> and I thought it was funny, and that was my whole way of getting into it. <laughs> nice. uh, but if you do want to uh, yell at us about our political beliefs, real. Uh, or imagined, you can email us at polywhippod.doomwood.com. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get started let's with get today's started chapters. with these great chapters. Yeah. And um, begin with chapter eight. Waiting for the damn fight to start already. Love it already. I, I love Jacob's just... <laughs> chapter titles. It's so good. We joined Jacob and was quickly becoming his default state of angry and annoyed. Listen, teenage angst. I mean, I can relate. He's ripe for the picking. Paul has been lounging on his couch all day, eating all of his food, with no sign of leaving anytime soon. Now, this has become a common situation in the Black household ever since Paul imprinted on Jacob's sister, Rochelle. Rachel. Possibly Rachel. Now, but seriously, though, what a wow. fucking zinger. Twist. Yeah. I know. Welcome to the fam, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> now, four of the ten pack members have imprinted, leaving Jacob feeling even more alone in his notably unmagical love life. It'd be like that sometimes. It, it really do. While his pack mates were pairing off one by one, Jacob was slowly going insane, waiting for the inevitable news of Bella's quote-unquote death. If it was up to him, the whole pack would go and burn down the colon house right now, but Sam refuses to break the treaty unless the colons do first. So, unable to stand Paul's presence any longer, Jacob decides to walk down to First Beach, where he, quote, says, no one cares if you're walking around in just shorts there, which I'm like, when have you ever cared what people thought about you wearing shorts? Uh, 
mean, he's never wearing a shirt. It clearly, they, he's fine. Right, with it. but like in the winter, they have to be oh, more careful. Like, I wasn't they might thinking of it that way. Go out in like. You I know see. what I mean? I see. They it's, would either stay in the woods. It's like, how does he not have hypothermia? Not like exactly. Gotcha. Yes. I was not imagined it in the winter. It wasn't but a that fashion right. choice. It's more of a practicality. Makes sense. Yeah. Glad I could sort that out for it you. It really helped because I was it's like, <laughs> what you, why do you suddenly care, Jacob? <laughs> At the beach, he finds Quill playing with Emily's niece, Claire. Quill and Claire get along so well together that he's become her go-to babysitter. And apparently no one finds any problems with this arrangement. Well, I guess it makes sense, though. Yeah, whatever. It's not like that, babe. It's not like that. I know. I know it's not. I know. Supposedly. I know. We're we're not going to get into it. Yeah, it's just, don't think about it too much. This isn't the Lolita podcast. We're not going to get into it. (laughs) Not yet, it's not. Quill excitedly talks about Claire's third birthday party as Jacob internally bemoans the annoyingly genuine happiness that always radiated out of imprinted people. Jacob asks if Quill ever considered dating other girls while he waited for Claire to come of age. God, I hated writing that sentence. You know, (laughs) we're going to move past it. Uh, (laughs) Quill flatly responds that he doesn't notice other girls anymore. He just doesn't even see their faces. And then when Quill asks if he thought about dating, Jake tells him that he doesn't see them either. Huh. Hmm. They might just be, like, stigmatisms. Uh. <laughs> just not seeing things. They're not seeing fine details. <laughs> Far away and too low for anyone but them to notice, a wolf's howl rings out from the forest. Sam was calling the pack for an emergency meeting. Ooh, uh-oh. Big time. rut row. rut row indeed. Who printed now, and how young is she? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Quill had to stay and keep watch of Claire, so Jake went off first on his own. Once safely in the woods, he transforms and finishes the rest of his journey in his much more comfortable wolf form. A moment later, he can hear Leah's footsteps nearby, but the two continue on, both choosing to run separately and competitively. Because <laughs> that's just how they is. I know. From Seth, Jacob learns that Daddy Swan has been calling around the res trying to get a hold of Billy. Bella had returned alive, but very sick. Are you putting a comma in as I'm talking? Yes. Eddie, my grammar. Bite you. <laughs> Bella had returned, but was very ill. Apparently, she had contracted some rare disease on her honeymoon. It's actually how we describe pregnancy, is contracting a rare uh, a <laughs> South American disease. disease. Yeah. A parasite living yeah. in my belly. I meant to look up... Um, why? Well, why? Well, I, I was gonna do this, but I, I gave up because I didn't find it, think it'd be that interesting. But I was looking up like um, parasitic diseases native <laughs> to South America, Uh-oh. and the joke would have been like I was gonna list all these, and then I was the last one was gonna be like Pregnancy. a baby, yeah. Oh, I see. <laughs> but then I gave up on it. So there's there's, there's the joke. There's the explanation for it. There's you. your content, you losers. <laughs> uh, I don't. You guys aren't losers. You're my favorite people. Uh, shout out real quick. Uh, we went to um, your sister's birthday party, and several oh, yeah. people said they listened and enjoyed the podcast, oh, and that yeah. was very sweet. It and was very sweet of them. I was so overcome with emotion, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> so I just, I think I just kept saying, oh, that's so nice, over and over, and it, it probably sounded disingenuous, but I was just too overwhelmed. It, yeah. Uh, but apparently, Bella, uh, so now Bella was being quarantined at the Cullen home and was getting worse by the day. A rare 2020 men- vibes. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Am I right? Remember quarantine? Well, it's coming back. A rare mental silence falls across the pack once Seth is finished speaking. Jacob wonders if this was the excuse the Cullens were going to use to explain Bella's sudden, quote unquote, death. Jake wants to go take on the Cullens immediately, but Sam disagrees. She's not a victim, Sam explains. He won't go and risk the safety of the pack to save her from something they all knew she'd signed up for. Jacob pushes back, but Seth quickly shuts him down with a simple question. Would he be the one to take Bella down? Or would he leave the dirty work for the rest of the pack? Ooh, get him. And then get mad at them for doing so. Right, which would have 100% would have happened 1000 million percent for evidence check every conversation uh, jake has had with bella since he transformed ever he, he he can't be happy jake accuses sam of being a coward and in response sam's mental voice takes on a strange double double timber it was the voice of the alpha commanding that the pack would not move against the cullens and jacob was powerless to resist the order thoroughly defeated jacob returns home 
Chapter 9. Sure as hell didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Jacob didn't plan on saying goodbye to his father, but Billy knew his son, and he knew how he'd react to the news of Bella's new quote-unquote illness. Jake emerges from the woods to find Billy sitting silently in their yard, his eyes already fixed on the exact point where Jake emerged. The two go inside and stumble through some forced casual conversation before Jake gets up to leave. Billy, understanding what Jake is about to do, begs him to stay. But Jake leaves anyways, only stopping to tear the phone cord from the wall. Dated. Yeah, yeah. For anyone who uh, is under the age of, like, 25, <laughs> phones used to be wired. You know how, like, you charged it? But imagine that was, like, permanent. Like, that had to be there. Right, so by unplugging work. the phone, now it, it there's no work. phone. Yeah. But can you plug it back in? No, so he, like, rips it out of the wall. Oh, okay, so it, like, uh, tears He, like, destroys it so that Billy would have to, like, go to the nearest house or yeah. store to call someone to get a hold of someone from the pack who right. they're all wolves at the moment. Yeah, so they could all So it once. would take him a while to yeah. even get to somewhere where he could possibly get a hold of one of the wolves to let them know what's happening. Also, Smart move on Jacob's part. Yeah, he could have just crushed, yeah, he could have just, like, broke his wheel. But that's fucked up. I mean, you you want results or you want to be right? That's fucked you know, up. You know, I'm just saying. You want to do it? But then he could still call. Well, do both, I mean. Oh, Whatever. I mean, he doesn't need to do both, babe, if he can just do one. Well, Jacob mounts his motorcycle and brings the engine roar into life. It wasn't as fast as running, but he couldn't risk the pack picking up on his plan. So he shoots off down the muddy... So he shoots off down the muddy lane that led from his house, not bothering, not bothering to take a final look behind him. Jacob is greeted at the Cullen home by the unmistakable scent of a vampire. The house showed no signs of life, but Jacob can just make out tense, angry murmurs wafting out from the other side of his elegant double doors. At the door, Jacob is greeted by Carlisle, much to his disappointment. Looking into his gentle face, Jacob felt a twinge of guilt. An arousal, possibly. <laughs> of all the Cullens, Carlisle seemed the most human, and when Jacob was hurt in the battle against the newborns, he didn't hesitate for a moment to treat him. Carlisle asked, Carlisle asked him to come back at another time, but a hoarse voice from inside the house asked to let Jacob in. Let him in. <laughs> that's what goes in my mind every time I read the word hoarse voice. It's not even spelled like that, though. I, I know, but that's what I hear every time. I just, I just imagine him like, sounding like Mr. Ed. Please, Jacob. No more lies. <laughs> Carlisle. I'm sorry. I'm a child. Uh, Carlisle reluctantly steps aside, and Jacob walks in to find Bella on the couch, surrounded by the rest of the family. I imagine the scene as like um, like an old Victorian uh, painting, like uh, just like where it's just like like this elegant like flat shot of like all these people in these like dramatic poses kind of like the last supper all around Quite Bella's, literally like... because they're all vampires so they're right and they're gonna be pale and like beautiful but i just imagine this would be a great tapestry this little moment with like rose like hunched over her yeah and then edward just comatose right <laughs> and it probably has eggs inexplicably god damn it i'm still mad about that director being like he should have eggs he's holding eggs huh it's I know so it was a woman, and it didn't weird. sound like that, but I was like, why? Jacob first notices Edward's eyes, half-crazed with agony, looking at the couch with an expression like someone had set him on fire. Jacob's stomach sank. He knew there was only one thing that could make him look like that. Jacob follows Edward's gaze to the pathetic creature that he could barely recognize as Bella. She laid on the sofa in a loose fetal position with her arms wrapped around her knees. Dark circles pooled under her eyes, highlighted by the haggard, paper-thin skin that stretched tight across her face. It wasn't a lie, Jacob thinks to himself. She really was sick. Very sick. Next to Bella, Rosalie sat bent over in a strange, protective stance. This made Jacob even more concerned, since last he'd checked, Rosalie and Bella didn't even get along. So what in the world was going on? Ros What's the matter? Rosalie instinctively holds a small bucket under Bella's chin, just in time for her to throw up into it. Bella, what's wrong? Jacob asks, practically begging. Bella's wrong! Bella gives him an answer by standing up. With Rosalie's help, Bella slowly gets onto her feet, revealing her swollen, balloon-shaped torso. Jacob can't make sense of it until... 
Jella. Jella. Jacob can't make sense of it until Bella gently places her hands around her bloated stomach, cradling it. Bella was pregnant, and it was killing her. One of the hardest I've laughed in the entire series is when Bella stands up, and then Edward, who I guess was leaning on her, just doesn't move and just falls face first into the couch, like, <laughs> like just which I can I can relate to. Just, just 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 not there, man. Yeah. He's not doing great. No, he is not. <laughs> We've seen Edward like not doing good, not thriving, but man, he is really not having a good time. <gasps> nope, no, no, nope. Holy good. Edward snaps to attention at Jacob's thoughts and asks to speak with him outside, alone. Jacob leads him into the woods and, once out of earshot, turns to face him. Jake again freezes at the sight of Edward's decimated expression. Edward tries to speak, but his mouth just opens with silent horror, as if he was being burned by some unseen flames. Yikes, dude. Yeah. Not, not doing good. <laughs> Jacob asks for confirmation. The thing growing inside Bella was killing her, wasn't it? Edward can only manage a strained yes as he collapses to his knees. Jacob asks why Carlisle hasn't done anything, and Edward looks at him with tired eyes. She won't let us. Edward explains that he had no idea what she was planning. She had secretly conspired with Rosalie to protect the baby. And Emmett and Esme also sided with Rose, so now all they could do was sit and watch as Bella slowly wasted away. But Edward had a plan. A plan so stupid, so obviously misguided and inept that it just might fail immediately. Yeah, it's not going to Horribly. Work. It's a um, terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. Let's get it to it. Yeah. It, worst, worst idea yet, honestly. And he's <laughs> had some doozies. <laughs> if Bella wants to have a baby so bad, then perhaps they could replace Edward's demon spawn with something a little safer. Edward asks Jacob, god damn it, to try and convince Bella to have his child instead of Edward's. Uh, as they would say in binge mode, tough look for our guy. Tough look for my guy, Eddie. Um, that's the craziest thing you've said yet, Jacob appropriately responds. Well, and, and the way Edward phrases it is just, he's such a dramatic little shit. He- <laughs> oh my God, I hate him. He's just like, well, if she could have anything else, I would I would give anything for to have anything but my offspring, even puppies. And I was like, oh, fuck you. I, you, yeah, you that, I That's it. why you were comatose? You come up with that line? I hate it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, sorry. So Jacob follows up by, uh, follows up with an even more appropriate, don't you know her at all? Or, or anyone? Like, no person would hear that proposal and think it makes sense. It's not like sw- swapping her truck for something to say, oh my god, Edward killing Bella's truck was foreshadowing. I... So that was a recreation of what actually happened when I was typing that. Okay. That's literally how it went. I was going, no person would think this is a good idea. Like, and I was like, well, what? I was like an equivalent. It's not like you can just swap out, like, like Bella's truck. He's not like, oh my God. It's Edward killing her truck, her precious truck to give her something safe. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, it's a setup. It's foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. It's foreshadowing. I was like, oh, mind blown. Killing her baby to replace it with the puppy. With a tank. I can't. Yeah. I literally yelled at Jess as I was writing. I was like, oh my God, Jesse, I just figured something out. Yeah. I was no, so excited. You were. It was, it's, Very it's good. good. It's a good. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's got to be what it is. Yeah. It's, it's a little foreshadowing, especially because it's the very first chapter. Right. It's like the first thing we, we read about in the story. And I never even thought about but, it. But, uh, good job. Some writer claps good for, job. uh, for Meyer. <laughs> but, As insane and morally dubious as the plan was, there was a part of Jacob that couldn't help but be tempted by the idea. An image he'd never let himself dream of before, of a healthy human Bella getting to grow old now flashed across his mind. But Jake quickly shakes away the thought. It was only a foolish dream, one he knew would never be real. Edward acknowledges that his plan was insane, but he had nothing else. No, you have nothing. There's not there's not a plan. <laughs> this was their only chance to save her. Seeing the gnawing desperation in his coal black eyes, Jacob knew it was true. Reluctantly, and with no other choice, Jacob agrees to the plan. Chapter ten. Why didn't I just walk away? Alright, cause I'm an idiot. 
Again, I fucking love I, these it's titles. Great titles. They're just they're so fun. <laughs> Jacob and Edward walk back to the house in an awkward silence as Jacob tries to make sense of what had just happened. That, that right there, imagining that is cringy in and of itself. Yeah, especially because Edward knows what he's thinking too. Yeah. It's just, it's just weird. Ugh. It's just weird. It felt unreal, like they were in some absurdist goth sitcom or the victims of some cruel and weirdly specific joke. Inside, Edward asks to let Jacob and Bella speak alone, and once Bella convinces an understandably suspicious Rosalie that she'll be fine, the family begrudgingly leaves the room. Jacob sits on the floor next to Bella, taking her worryingly cold hands into his. Bella asks if Edward asked him to talk some sense into her, and Jacob admits that he did, though he knows it won't work. Bella assures him that it'll all work out, she'll be fine in the end. As bad as things look now, she can feel kind of magic when, within her and her child that gives her hope. Mm. Adding that she can see the same magic, more of it, in fact, within Jacob. Jacob asks what in the world she's talking about, and Bella tells him about how Edward explained imprinting to her. How it was like magic in a Midsummer Night's Dream. For more on that, you can check out uh, episode 27 as we discuss how the play relates to chapters 18 through 20 of Eclipse. You want more on that? Yeah, that's one of my, one of my favorite Oh. That you did. I like that one. Thank you. Bella can tell that there's magic out there, just waiting to make things right for him. With a growl, he asks how him imprinting on some stranger could make any of this right. What was the point of all of this then? What was the point of all of this then, he demands. Was she really just going to die? Was she really going to die just to fulfill the twisted love story she was playing out? Bella insists that everything will be all right in the end, but all Jacob can see is the broken, pathetic husk of the girl he loves dying for nothing. Then it finally hits him. You're not planning on surviving this human, Jacob says dully. Called it. He did. Bella confirms his suspicion. Emmett, Esme, Rose, and Edward were all turned as they were on the brink of death, so she figured the same would work out for her. Jacob can only beg her to stay alive in one form or another. He repeats the words she said to him when he was hurt. Be good and listen to Carlisle. Bella, of course, doesn't. <laughs> but then suddenly gasps in pain as she clutches her stomach. Her hands pull her sweatshirt aside, revealing giant splotches of purple and black spread across her stomach. Noticing Jacob's horrified face, she quickly pulls back the sweatshirt. With a notable change in his voice, Jacob begs Bella not to go through with this. Feeling the same crazed desperation he saw on Edward's face, Jacob suggests a new plan. What if she kept herself alive this time and tried again later? Well, Bella doesn't understand at first. I mean, there was no way Edward would be willing to try that again. Then it hits her. Shocking exactly no one, Bella immediately rejects the very idea and asks if this was Edward's plan. As bad of a plan it was, you can't deny Edward's dedication. I mean, he would let his arch enemy impregnate the love of his life just to keep her safe. So, you know, I will give him that. I'd rather kill her. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I was going to agree with you. <laughs> Jacob gets up to leave, and Bella asks if he's going to come back before... And Jacob cuts her off. I'm not going to hang around and watch you die, replies flatly. Damn. I know. As he walks away, you can hear Bella softly whisper... I love you, Jacob. I think she says, I love you, Jake. Oh, my God. I'm fucking with you. <laughs> I'm fucking with you. I mean, either way. But I think she I'm probably right. does say Jake. <laughs> I love you, Jake. <laughs> Queen. Stop. When you walked away, she's like, sheesh. No. No, she didn't. She didn't know that reference. <laughs> Be weird if she did. Fellow kids. <laughs> Jake leaves the house and races into the woods, now in the comfort of his animal form. Immediately, a chorus of eight voices called out his name in relief. Without a word, the pack moves to meet with Jacob, taking in the same horror he had witnessed. It was almost dark when they met somewhere right outside of La Push. The stunned silence of the pack had eroded into chaotic shouting. Sam growled in an unbroken stream as he paced back and forth. Paul and Jared moved behind him like shadows, emitting their own low snarls. Soon the entire pack was thinking with shared disgust and anger. All but two, Jake and Seth. Jacob struggled to keep up with the spiraling voices, but the sentiment was clear. The child could not be allowed to live. Jacob gets to his feet and objects to their rash decisions, ironically. Yeah. 
He asks Sam why he wants to attack the Collins now when the treaty is still intact. And Sam retorts that the treaty had not planned for something like this. Not only were the vampires breeding, but their offspring were clearly strong and rapidly growing. They had no idea if the Collins could even control it and couldn't risk waiting to find out. Jacob asks how they plan on killing this child without hurting Bella, but receives only a pointed silence in response. She's human too, Jacob shouts, but his protest is in vain. She's dying anyways, Leah thinks, sociopathically. We'll just shorten the process. It's like, Christ, Leah. God, chill out, dude. God damn. She's a slay. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. I I, would have, if it was me, I would have been like, everyone just went, whoa, Leah, Christ, what the fuck? You sit sit out. No, but she said what other people were thinking. I know, I know, but just just like, Uh, God damn. It's all, it's all so fucked. Like the total 180, right? Because before Jacob was the one like, let's kill him. And they're like, chill out, dude. It's completely switched. But I, I do see their, their view on it. They don't know what this thing is going to be. No one does, and they know the vampires don't know either. I mean, you, you see, like, how horrified they are. Yeah. This, this could be anything. I know. You know? So. Well, Jacob leaps towards Leah, but before he can reach her, Sam's teeth sink, in, Sam's teeth sink into his flank and drag him away. Stop! Sam orders in the double timber of the Alpha. Sam turns to Leah and commands her to treat Bella and her sacrifice with proper reverence. I do like this uh, line from Sam yeah. where he's talking about this is not to be taken lightly. Th- no, this is something we have to do. But Bella is sacrifice is a sacrifice in our safety here. But she is a human, and we and need, need to honor to that. Respect her yeah. sacrifice. Stop being a little shit, Leah. Yeah. Trying to you're trying too hard to be hardcore. I know it's annoying. <laughs> Everyone's mad at you. <laughs> To the rest of the pack, he announces their plan. They will attack the Collins tonight. Seth objects, but Sam orders him to obey, causing the young wolf to collapse to his knees. Returning to Jacob, Sam commands him to fight alongside the pack, mercifully assigning him to fight Edward and Jasper while the Emmett others Jasper. sorry Emmett and Jasper while the others handle Bella. Jacob's knees tremble under the weight of the Alpha's influence. Sam hands out the remaining pack assignments, leaving Edward for himself. Jacob struggles to resist, telling Sam that his plan is wrong, but one could not overcome the influence of the Alpha through willpower alone. Sam ceased his pacing and stares deep into Jacob's eyes. Sam's voice doubles in Jacob's mind, blistering with the heat of its authority. You are obligated to protect this tribe. That is why you exist. You will perform this obligation. Jacob's shoulders hunch and his legs collapse under the weight of Sam's edict. Jake laid helplessly on his belly under him. No member of the pack could refuse the Alpha. No one can refuse the Alpha! Um, so, interesting wow. set of chapters. Wow. A lot of shit happens. Yeah. You think it's going one way. This is the biggest the chapter we've gotten in a while. As yeah. far as just a whole bunch of shit going down. Yes. We got a lot. And... A lot more happened. So let's go ahead and discuss our personal Personal proclivities of this week's chapters. I'll go ahead and go first with my favorite moment uh, because I didn't write it down. So you don't know what it is. Yeah. I was like, did I not refresh? But actually, my favorite moment is this happens right at the beginning. um, And this kind of coincides with my section of the things you might not have known. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really (laughs) enjoy when Jacob is like thinking about like how well he can hear and like kind of going out he's like mm. I, I can i can hear the beach and i can hear familiar voices and mm-hmm. afterwards you realize it's it's claire and and quill um and then all of a sudden he's taken out of it by paul's donkey laugh and i just just the thought of that in my yeah. head it always makes me smile that could be a that'd be a real funny moment with yeah. the serene nature and it's like ha, yeah <laughs> and you're like that's fucking dumb why do you do that uh. <laughs> <laughs> so I really munch like munch part. on doritos no yeah. i like that too it really shows like how fucking annoying it is to have paul in your goddamn house well yeah because it was like well and then paul started braying like a donkey so i had to <laughs> fucking leave because he's noxious and he's like magically wed to my family now <laughs> Can't get so, rid of him. Yeah, and we're also like we share a mind and form, <laughs> so like I gotta like actively we have to both work actively 
to prevent me seeing him fucking my sister. Oh God! Like, I we're gonna have to both that. really be working on making that that, that uh, make sure that doesn't happen. That's true. Because knowing any teenage guy, that's just gonna be casually playing in your mind. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, but my favorite moment uh, was was Seth just straight dunking on Jake. The 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 are you gonna kill her? It's, are you gonna kill her? or Are you uh, gonna leave it to your your it's brothers like, and sisters? Damn you, it. fucking punk ass kid! You're right as shit. I was right. I got a good point. I yeah. I love Seth. I lo- Seth's become a very cool character. I really enjoyed um, his little place within the the character connections here. Yeah, the way, well, because he had that moment inter- with yeah. Edward and. It, it's it just, formed a spot. It's a lesson on empathy. It's just, it's, you know, imagining others as complexly as you understand yourself to be. It's seeing that you can, I'll, I'll kind of get into this a bit on my piece, but, you know, you, it's not it's not surprising that the one person who spent time with one of the colons wants to be their friend, sees them as good people. Like, because yeah. if he just did, then it, you would know. And same with Jake and Carlisle. All he did... Exactly. Edward's different because of the, the love triangle thing, but... But, I mean, yeah, but... The it, one vampire you spent time with, he's like, oh, he's actually, like, a really nice person. And you're like, yeah. yeah like, just, I can't deny that he's a fucking person who's yeah. kind That's when I goes, look at him. It's because the show that if you just, like, give people the time of day and imagine them empathetically, that tends to happen most times. But anyways... Look at you, Seth. Look at you, Seth. But uh, uh, honorable mention or runner-up is uh, Jake's convo with uh, his dad, with Billy. Um, I oh, just really yeah. liked, uh, especially Billy joking, he's like... Some of the Jake's like, how'd you get yourself out? He's like, oh, I just rolled down the hill. I think it hit like 30 miles per hour. Well, yeah. Well, at first he like tries to make it sound. He's like, oh, yeah, I had to come all the way over here from yeah. Sue's house. Yeah. And then Jake's like, it's downhill. You coasted the whole way. <laughs> he's like, you're right. I, I almost got up chill. to like 30 miles per hour there, probably. <laughs> I mean, it, headcanon, Billy's like got like a medical marijuana license. <laughs> And he's just just chilling. Definitely. He's got some religious exemption for being a tribe or something, but he's just chilling. But uh, also, he has a a very nice line where um, uh, Jacob's like, ah, it's too crowded in this house or whatever. He's like, your sister and I would sleep on the floor to keep you here with us. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Yeah, we'll do whatever it takes. You know, it was a very sweet combo. And I've I've always liked Billy. You don't get a lot of him, but he's always fun. Outside of the first book, he's been really great. First book, he was kind of obnoxious. I mean, but it makes sense, though, in hindsight. Yeah. And then just also a little small thing is I, I liked Rose being protective. Uh, over Bella and the baby. I, know. I mean, that was just perfectly set up. It really was. Rose and Bella's relationship and uh, Rose's backstory and stuff is all leading to that. Makes a great moment. I agree. I agree. So, our favorite lines. Yeah. Uh, let me go ahead and do my yeah, favorite line. Or ask me for my favorite line, babe, that way. Uh, uh, Jessica. Yes. What sir. is your favorite? I don't think we ever introduced ourselves up top. I'm Jess. Uh. Well, I mean, oh, God. <laughs> You're Jess. I'm Spencer. Uh, but, Jess, being you, uh, what was your favorite line? Okay, so my favorite line, um, uh, it's just a, it's a real zinger, and it's Jake. He said, for a second, I was just a kid, a kid who had lived all his life in the same tiny town, just a child, because I knew I would have to live a lot more, suffer a lot more, to ever understand the searing agony in Edward's eyes. Which I'm like, ooh, what, oh, yeah. a, what a couple few sentences there. That was incredible. Yeah. So I didn't choose my favorite line until the last minute because uh, I wanted to see what you would pick. Mm-hmm. Um, because I had so many. This, so I don't know what it is about writing from Jacob's perspective, but it really brought something out. It in really my, did. I don't know. Yeah. She's just excited. She kind of felt renewed or whatever. But uh, getting a new POV to talk and just getting to explore different things because we've just been with Bella so long and. She's kind of we. I kind of talked about in the end of a clip. She's kind of kind of reached the conclusion of her narrative arc, mm-hmm. or her character arc, not her narrative arc. She's there's more to do with the story, but she's kind of figured herself out. So there's not as much rich material to to dig from. Um, and not at all that same Meyer hasn't been doing good writing, but I think there's just so much more to talk about with Jake at this point, and especially yeah. from his perspective. So I had. Truly, like a list of like ten ten lines I love. Oh shit! Uh, one being that one that you you picked. Also, yeah. there's one where he's like, "I was I my face was an became an echo of 
J- uh, Edwards, oh, Edwards. Uh, yeah. again just a w- nice way of being like I f- understand now like I have more empathy it's kind of if I had to pick a theme for this week it would have been empathy yeah and just absolutely understanding each other just tons of great lines but uh I, I went with so what was the point of this twisted love story in the end is there any if there's any sense please show me Bella because I don't see it and that's a small part of a larger one <sighs> yeah where she's but like what's the point of me loving you you loving him and what's I- the point oh! of all this pain why why are we doing all this why if we just so you die like he words it so fucking well yeah it, I, it's I know a long that quote, if it were me i'd be like uh, duh, don't uh, do it be like but why why no but he's so eloquent in yeah. the way that he's speaking but still believably feelings. jacob he's yes. not speaking uh out of his character no no no, no because not he's at saying all. he's phrasing in a way that is jacob and that's uh, but it's so I, earnest yeah exactly it's earnest and real and well put but yeah, yeah it's great and you just see like jacob like we went through all this shit you're just going to die? Yeah, for fucking for the, what, Bella? For what? Yeah, to do what? Accomplish what? Yeah, so great moment. Jake just having a just having a great time. Oh, I know. This is I'm I have like such a big happy feeling in my chest just because <laughs> I I fucking love this part of the book and I'm yeah. so glad that you also enjoy it. Oh, it, it's probably my favorite chapters. Yeah. In a long time and definitely Meyer's best writing since probably Twilight. I agree. Like, it's the best like really really well done. Yes. Um, and it feels a lot like Twilight just how, how rich and exciting it is. That's why I imagined I think she was excited to get a new character POV and to really get to dig into that. It's just so good. Yeah, I know. So I know. great. Anyways, we're going to go ahead yeah. and move on. Um y'all, let's take a leisurely walk. Yeah. To our local manhole. Make sure you bring a lantern as we Explore, explore the lore. lore so spencer there's a lot that we, we actually learned yeah so what uh, what have you learned this week well what we've learned uh so now we have four out of ten pack members have imprinted obviously okay, so right who, who are with, they sam with emily emily sam with emily okay uh of course uh quill with queer god oh. damn that was not <laughs> That wasn't even on purpose. That's how they talk Quilla, in that yeah, I scene. Don't. I know. <laughs> Quill, Quaya. I know. Uh, Quill with Claire. Jesus. Uh, and Jared with the Kim. Much, the much less uh, unnerving Jared and Kim. Well, they're the only ones <laughs> that, like, like there isn't drama. Right. They just met on a bus. It. And, like, Kim already liked Jared. Yeah. And that, so it was perfect. They're, they're that couple that met in middle school and yeah. it's, like, still married and they're, like, happy. And you're like, I can't even fault anything with this. So you're like, okay. Well, I got one B. I know people that have been together that were, like, since elementary school. Yeah. They, like, boy meets world. Uh, yeah, yeah, like they had that exactly that, that all kind it of just shit. worked out. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, uh, and then the newest Paul with Rachel. Yes. Which is just God. Oh God, I, mean, I can imagine how fucking mad Jacob was. I just know. Like, well, it's what? like finding out, She's like, here. like yeah, like my annoying ass friend is now hooking up with my sister. What the fuck? It's like God, like all the people, not only hooking, imprinted. Right, right. But is, I, I imagine it's like that sentiment. Yeah. Plus, it's like. But I can't even fault him for it because he doesn't even have any free will in yeah, this situation. He didn't choose either. But it, God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> now I have to fucking have Paul hang around my house. All I day. know. All Paul. right. So what else have you learned? Colin and Embry's parents don't know that they're wolves. No, they don't. And neither. Yeah. Why? I, I was confused by that. So the whole wolf thing is a complete secret only the people who are tribal elders oh that's what it is which okay. include well what which, did include harry billy. oh right it, it included harry and billy and right. quill old the senior quill. Old yeah quill. the senior quill yeah um Soon and to- then when harry died sue took over right 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 i mean so they know yeah uh, and, and, and Leah Jacob, had to know because it fucking did. did I mean yeah right well it happened to her yeah. but but it, well and uh, even before that yeah but like rachel yeah. Wasn't going to know. Right. And that was the whole thing is that they're trying to hide it from Rachel. They're like, oh, I got to figure out excuses. And then but, she just be- joined since, in anyways. Yeah. yeah. You, whenever they imprint, they can't hide that kind of stuff with the person who they imprint right, on. Obviously. And so, and so I mean, it ends up being that like they're in this like small group together and yeah. you don't realize that there are outsiders, but yeah. everybody else on the reservation, every other like, Quileute yeah. and person in the entire world have no just idea. Normal and that's why they're lives. like, it's a gang. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Makes and sense. Embry, it's just weird. yeah, has to sneak out every night. And... Parents think they're on drugs. Exactly. Just like constantly. Yeah, it's got to be weird. And then the elders can be like, "Nah, nah, it's chill." Yeah, yeah. Just uh, you know, don't worry about. It. I know. Uh, so the pack has has to deal with seeing each other's sex memories. 
Well, only if they actively think about it while yeah, they're, they're gonna, in wolf form. They're gonna. But that's the thing they is that they're with like that dealing issue. with Jared is because they have to like let him cool down post coitus so he doesn't bring that shit. In. I mean, yeah, I remember being a teenager, teenager, and like yeah. even if I made out with a guy, I'd be thinking about it for weeks yeah, on end. Same. You know, like so I can't just not. It's, right. it's gonna that's take a I while mean. to like turn it off yeah exactly so, and that's so inevitably fun. yeah <laughs> and then we kind of get we see uh, the alpha of the pack is able to uh, has physical control over the members not only just kind of a, a, a emotional or like leadership right control. And, and that's more confirmed here because it, it's mentioned it, yeah. in new moon that's why jacob couldn't tell her yeah, but I, he had I, that workaround, but yeah. that's why it, he was like physically pained. By right, not... but the, you kind of see how it actually works now. I guess is what we learn. Not so yes. much that exists. It's not yes. just like a, a an order, uh, like a right. Magic like if Sans like, like force... cut it out, you can still continue doing it. Yeah, he has just... to enforce this kind of. Yeah, and you can kind of resist it to a point, but he can kind of control how intense it is. Also, um, so all the wolf dialogue when it's in the their minds is all in italics. So I learned that you, I, I never come across, I've never come across this before, but you when you emphasize italics, because normally you emphasize with italics, you just make it normal. You just make it normal. And at first I thought it was a typo. I was like, why is this one word? Normal in the middle of that time, and then I realized what's happening. So that's just something I learned. Yeah. Uh, Bella uh, conspired with Rose to protect the baby, and then Emmett sided uh, sided with with Rose, Rose, and then Esme kind of sided with Bella because she she believes in body autonomy. (laughs) (laughs) Not a political (laughs) podcast. Uh, When Jacob reacts to Bella saying the baby was a bully, uh, the next line says that Bella's face turns pink, which I think is a possible hint at the baby's true gender. Babe, uh, that is a good thing to pick up i never even thought about that it's like the next it's, it's jake said some more or something but the next thing that is about bella the next line is her face turns Turn pink. pink i only didn't put it in predictions because i you already know i probably wouldn't have picked up on that if i wasn't already thinking I'm like oh i know it's not mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i just put that there but i was like no that's a, little, a good one that's yeah a, good a little one. more foreshadowing like what uh, else you got uh bella's womb is hard like vampire skin like the membrane is hard exactly. how that works i have no idea the, how water breaks i don't know let's not don't think about it too much um <laughs> the, but so ultrasounds don't work so she's just guessing that's a boy yeah and again like i mentioned earlier i think edward wrecking bella's truck in order to give her a new one was a bit of intentional foreshadowing there Hell yeah especially since they repeatedly phrased it as killing the truck like he kind of like you know you know we yeah. get it. We get what the, get the metaphor sure. is there. Uh, but anyways, what are we? What is to come? What's going to happen? Yeah, I got, predictions. I got a lot of spicy predictions. I can't wait. Yeah. So what's the first one? So first one, I think what we're going to get right into in these next chapters is Jake's. Jake is going to find a way to for or forcefully become the alpha, or he's going to split up the pack. He's going to like overcome Sam's will. Uh, so it seems like the natural progression of his character at this point, choosing the non-violent choice because it's the right thing to do. You know, instead of following what the, his tribe typically believes, right. which shows that he's matured enough to be a leader, to think independently in different scenarios. Gotcha. Um, and I think Embry and Seth will join him, but Quill will go with Sam, along with all the other imprinted wolves and Leah and stuff. I think the imprinted ones, because they're thinking about their families now much right. more than the other boys. Right. Um, and Seth obviously is on his side, but I think Embry would, would side with him as well. Interesting. I, I could see that. Um, and then Jake's sen- section, I think, is going to end with him imprinting and Bella transforming. Okay. Um, and so the third section, and then we'll probably introduce the Volturi conflict that's gonna, that I think will be the conclusion of the book with all of probably the wolves and the vampires will team up again. Wow, that was a lot of predictions. That's a lot of predictions. But I think he will become alpha just because of, of his uh, Jacob's bloodline. And it's like, hint, he's like, ah, I didn't want to be alpha anyways. Sam became alpha through, like, not dubious, but just, uh, like, That's just how random, very specific yeah. circumstance. And it was really always set up to be Jake. So I think because they're introducing Jake resisting the will of the alpha, I think he will be able to resist okay. it and overcome it, and they'll be like dueling alphas or yeah, something like that. Yeah, no, that's that. totally fair. That's totally fair. I like uh, that But I think, so what I think is happening with the baby Ooh, is okay. the baby is draining Bella's blood in this with the same mechanism how the newborns drain their own blood supply. Interesting. Okay. So, because she shows signs of acute blood loss anemia, so it's like fatigue, weakness, pale and cold skin. Yes. Probably, and she's probably malnourished, which explain her bruising. And oh, right. even easily bruising. So I think that's how how that's happening specifically is it's taking her blood. Mm-hmm. Feeding off Bella is making the baby strong and explains why it's growing so fast. Okay, yeah. 
because she's just getting human blood. It's getting right. like the newborns. Exactly. And so this is kind of my my theory I'm really wanting to get in here is because of this, because the baby feeding on her, Bella won't have the same crazed newborn face because she'll have drained so much of her own blood supply going in. And she'll be much more like the colons when she turns. That's how she's avoiding that crazy newborn face she's so worried about. Interesting. Even if that's not explicit, I would argue. I really like that. Even if that's not in the text, I would argue that is what's happening. So we'll see how it plays out. But that's where I'm coming at it from. That's a really interesting way of thinking about that. Right. Okay. And then then, uh, let's have a big theory, kind of more... uh, all three foreshadowy things, but, but but Bella's saying Jake has a special kind of magic in him, which I suspect is intended to be literal because of the, the world we're in. Okay. There's something she is seeing like a power in him, yes. like a supernatural thing, and I think it's either a hint at his future imprinting, or it's something to do with his uh, uh, bloodline. Like she's seeing the will of Taaki, like in oh, him, his okay. loyalty I see or whatever, okay. something like that. Yeah. That, so I think it's going. I think it's more the imprinting, but I could see it being that too. But I think it is literal. I think she's not just waxing poetic. I think that's going to come up. Okay. And uh, the Twilight movies came out now. I would predict that Leah would be an edgy lesbian character and oh, would be yeah. way over featured in the advertising campaigns. Um. Yeah. Because she, uh, they'd they're, be using her as like, like a hey gay. <laughs> here's another. Here's a gay. Kind of like um. We have things to sell to you. Yeah. Look at that pixie cut we gave her. I know she doesn't in these movies, but she'd have a pixie cut, though. It would be like, um, uh, what's that hot chick who was in Orange is the New Black? Oh, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, yeah, but I don't know her it's name. Just, she's like the, les- the hot lesbian character. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Anyways, uh, um, that's my predictions. Well, I'm good. so excited to lot. see where these I, go. Uh, this is my favorite book. Okay, we're going to go ahead and take a short break. Short. And we'll come back to you guys with our uh, road to pretension. And, and learning some things we didn't know. Yeah, hang All in right. there. And, and we're, we're back. back. Okay. Uh, so real quick, I just wanted to, um, there was one political uh, argument I wanted around. Oh, no. What's oh, that? we can't talk about politics. Oh no, it's why the not? Road to pretension. Oh, there's no politics on that road. No, there aren't any. Not, not in mine. <laughs> Just books. <laughs> Just books. That's right. It's time to take a journey down that road to pretension as we take a classic piece of literature and see how it compares to this week's chapters. So brush up on your manners and tighten those chastity belts because chivalry, chivalry is back in a big way as we discuss the classic tale of Arthurian legend Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Bam, bam, bam. Uh, that's a flute sound <laughs> flute, flute music medieval flute music so written by someone at some time <laughs> sir gawain possibly gawain i think it is gawain but i learned it as gawain so deal with it yeah <laughs> is one of the best known stories of Arthurian legend so it's primarily uh, a lot of its popularity is due to the uh, modern day translation done by j.r.r tolkien uh, oh, of Lord okay. of the Rings fame. Right. Though in many editions, uh, there's a little gripe. It's a thing no one cares about but me. But in many of the editions of his translation of the story, the covers confusingly and one might say deceptively make it seem that Tolkien was the original author of the story. Oh, I see. You but know, he's like, not. Because most of these they say translated by, but you'll see it just Tolkien at the bottom. Oh, I see. And I, it just missed me because I'm like, he already, he already is a prolific writer. You don't have to like attribute Right. Ancient medieval tales to him too, but he was the one. He um, and some other scholars were the first ones to really bring it back because it was just one manuscript that was found with the story, which always fascinates me because it just brings brings to mind how countless tales we've lost through fires right. and uh, you know time and all that. I know it's too bad, but however, this tale is not about King Arthur, but rather one of his knights of the Round Table, the eponymous Sir Gawain. The story begins with Arthur and his knights celebrating New Year's at his court in Camelot. But their festivities are interrupted when a massive green knight suddenly bursts into the Great Hall. Wielding an equally massive axe, the green knight offers to challenge one of the knights to a little friendly game. He will allow the challenger one strike at him with his axe unopposed, and he will return that strike in exactly one year in one day. Wow. Offering his splendid axe as a prize. 
King Arthur, of course, accepts the challenge, but just as he is about to wield the blade, Sir Gawain stops him and offers to take the challenge instead. Stupid. Gawain, being the youngest of the knights and nephew to Arthur, mm. sees his challenge as a chance to prove himself as a courageous warrior. Okay. He wants to have a story to tell is right. his kind of theme here. So Gawain raises the axe far above his head, high above his head, and swiftly brings it back down, separating the Green Knight's head from its body. But to the party's horror, the Green Knight calmly retrieves its own head and faces it towards them. The head tells Sir Gawain to meet him at the Green Chapel in a year and one day to finish their challenge. Bald, I know. Dude. Just as suddenly as he arrived, the Green Knight was gone. Time goes on, and as autumn approaches, Gawain prepares for his journey to find the Green Knight. Dawn in his finest armor and mounted upon his finest horse, he sets off into the vast, unknown wilderness of northern Wales. Mm. The days pass by and Gawain grows ever more tired and hungry and increasingly desperate. Finally, on Christmas Day, he comes across a lonely castle sparkling on the horizon. The lord of the castle kindly welcomes Sir Gawain in, but proposes a little game in exchange for his longing. I detect the theme here. <laughs> I know. Each day, the lord would go out to hunt, and when he returned, that he will exchange his winnings with whatever Gawain has gained while back at the castle. Gawain agrees to the strange offer and goes to bed. <clears throat> On the first day, the lord's wife enters Gawain's bedchambers Hello. and attempts to seduce the noble knight. Gawain rejects her advances, but the lady manages to steal a single kiss. <laughs> mm, how scandalous. When the lord returns from his hunt that evening, he presents Gawain with the deer he has slain, and in exchange, Gawain gives him a kiss. <laughs> Since the lady's kiss was the only thing he had gained, was the only thing he had won that day, problematic language aside. Huh. On the second day, Gawain receives two kisses, and the lord kills a wild boar. Once again, they exchange their gifts, and on the third and final day, things get real hot and heavy. As Ooh. the lady gives Gawain, count it, three kisses. <laughs> Hello. Along with a green girdle, girdle, if you didn't understand my weird pronunciation there, <laughs> which she claims can protect its wearer from death. A lot of green. I wonder what it can mean. Interesting. Hmm. When the Lord returns that night with his winnings, Gawain gives him the three kisses, but does not mention the magic green girdle, wanting to keep it for himself, oh. assumedly to not die. Right. Gawain goes to bed that night, but his heart is heavy with guilt for his deception and filled with dread at the knowledge that the next day he must go and seek out the green knight. That's a bummer. Yeah, one of my uh, one of the there's a lot of ways to interpret the story, uh, but one of my favorite readings of it is how it's like a bros before hoes kind of tale, <laughs> where like this lecherous woman is like trying to seduce God, and he's like, nah, I'll kiss your husband though. <laughs> I mean, the boys got to hang out. I don't got time for you, girl. I love that. <laughs> so the following morning on New Year's Day, Gawain once again dons his armor along with the green girdle safely hidden underneath, and sets out to find the Green Chapel. A guide accompanies Sir Gawain, and upon arriving, is like, uh, let's not do this, and promises not to tell anyone if Gawain would abandon his quest at this point. But he can't. He can't. I can't do it. Though he knows he is facing almost certain death, Gawain is determined to meet his fate head on. So the guide cowardly runs away as Gawain continues his search. Gawain approaches a cavern, which he suspects is the mysterious green chapel due to the sound of a, of a grindstone sharpening a blade. How fun. He calls out for the green knight, and the creature soon emerges to greet him. Resigned to his fate, Gawain presents his neck for the green knight to strike. The creature, wielding the familiar blade, feigns two blows, but on the third, the green knight slightly nicks Sir Gawain's neck, oh. barely drawing blood. Wow, huh. that's good. What could happen? The Green Knight laughs. Uh, 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 he says greenily, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Green Knight laughs and reveals that he is Bertilak, the lord of the castle where Gawain had just stayed. Oh, what? Shit. Plot twist. He drew blood from Gawain's neck as punishment for not exchanging all of their winnings as they had agreed. Uh... But nevertheless, Gawain has proven his honor. The Green Knight hails him as the best and bravest of Arthur's knights. Hell yeah. Get it, dude. When Gawain questions the Green Knight, he explains that Morgan Le Fay, Gawain's aunt and Arthur, Arthur's half-sister, had magically changed his appearance and sent him on the original mission. How strange. Not explained why, though. I guess <laughs> as a test or whatever. I don't okay, know. Okay. Uh, whatever. 
Gawain returns home feeling relieved but guilty at his failure in his deceptions earlier. He then decides to wrap the green girdle not under his armor but around his arm, openly reminding himself of his failure. Arthur and his knights hold a grand celebration for Gawain upon his return to Camelot, all of them wearing matching girdles around their arms in solidarity with their brother. Aww, that's sweet. sweet. It is. So I chose the Green Knight for this week, partially because it, uh, there's a movie adaptation coming out soon that looks Hell yeah. so good. We're gonna watch it tomorrow. I've lit- yeah, we're seeing it tomorrow. I've been. It was supposed to come out April last year, but obvious reasons it didn't. Uh, I've been waiting for it for so long. Like a teaser trailer came out like probably almost two years ago now, and oh, it's yeah. like it's a it's an weird horror trailer. movie vibe. And I I've loved this story. I read it in a college class, and I always thought it was great. And I was like watching this, and I was like, is this? Is this Sir Gawain in the Green Knight? I was like, no way. And then, like, the green guy's there. I was like, oh, it is. Oh, it looks so good. I'm so excited. <laughs> Truly excited. So it's been on my mind. But mostly I chose it because in these chapters we see, for the first time, Jacob treated like a soldier. Oh, yeah. And not as a warrior or a fighter, but as a tool, as a weapon used in the service of something larger than him. Mm-hmm. Which uh, eventually leads him to have doubts about the institution in which is controlling him and truly doubt what side he's even on. Mm. Sir Gawain also sees his resolve and bravery tested on his journey, forcing him to decide if he is truly worthy of his place as a knight of the round table. So let's take a look at how these characters' journeys challenge and change them. Okay. So both Gawain and Jacob begin their journeys confident in what they believe to be right and wrong. Gawain finds strength in meeting in the Knight's Chivalrous Code. Apologies for how I pronounce chivalrous. I don't, it's hard for me, but I had to write it. Yeah. <laughs> As does Jake with his tribe's traditions and beliefs, in mm. which imbue him with a sense of moral superiority over vampires, yes. specifically. And these beliefs are integral to who they are and guide many of the choices that they make. Being a Knight of Camelot, especially one so directly related to Arthur, comes with certain expectations. And wanting to live up to those expectations pushes Gawain to accept the Green Knight's challenge, even when it appears to mean certain death. While Jacob's conflict with Collins is definitely more personal, he uses the beliefs of his tribe as a way to justify his hatred for them, calling them bloodsuckers and petty nicknames like the Blonde One. Jake stereotypes them as simple, evil creatures, allowing him to fight them without any hesitation mm-hmm. nor guilt. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot I was going to write out all of Jacob's nicknames for the different colons. Oh. But that they're funny, but maybe I'll do it another time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so these beliefs are so fundamental to the characters that they, when, when they are tested, e- even slightly, it radically changes how they view themselves and how they are viewed by the audience. Mm, yeah. Gawain is so ashamed of his dishonesty and cowardice, he practically begs the Green Knight to kill him. And his lying with the game with the Lord is the first time we as an audience see him do anything that isn't just... 100% purely brave and noble. Right. Allowing us to see him as a much more interesting character. Mm-hmm. And Jacob has spent so long convincing himself that vampires are these soulless, evil creatures that he's unable to even come to terms with his feelings for Carlisle. Yeah. Even though he came to the Cullen's house intending to kill the entire family, he can't bring himself to hate Carlisle. And he's mad when he answers the door because his genuine kindness and aura of peace and love can't coexist with what Jacob understands and really needs vampires to be. Yeah. And this one little crack in his resolves, along with the intense uh, trauma, I will say, of seeing Bella in that state, is what allows him to eventually stand up for Bella and her child and going against everything he believed in before. Right. I mean, yeah, you got that, uh, what is it called? Um, Cognitive dissonance? Yeah, 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 exactly. When Jake chooses to go against the will of his pack, he is met with swift retribution. Sam punishes him for his lapse in faith by taking away Jacob's free will, literally forcing him to obey his orders. Aptly, Sam concludes these orders with the line, that is why you exist. This line, for me, really encapsulates Jacob's journey in the story so far. By his cocky facade, Jacob has been shown to be apprehensive about his powers and what they mean. He isn't really interested in being Alpha, despite his royal lineage, and he's deeply in love with the girl, but he is unable to be with her, in contrast to many of his brothers who just magically, literally, fall instantly and perfectly in love with someone at random. Yeah. Which further isolating Jacob from the rest of his pack. Which begs the question, why does Jacob exist? Mm. 
well, looking at Sir Gawain, he too is unsure of his place in life. He was chosen. He was a chosen knight of Camelot and a blood relative to King Arthur, yet he had not achieved any great deeds himself. In an effort to justify his status as a knight, he journeyed out into the wilderness where he finds that the rigid and highly symbolic codes of chivalry don't actually stand up in the real world. In breaking these arbitrary rules, he learns that true honor comes from within, from one's own moral code, symbolized in his wearing of the green girdle, turning the object of his greatest failure into a symbol of his own redemption and independence. Jacob, too, is a warrior of royal blood, but when he finds the rigid rules of the treaty don't align with his own morality, he loses so much of what defined him as a person. But that identity, in many ways, was never really his. His tribe, his powers, his status were all just forced upon him. Yeah. So now, for the first time, he can choose why he exists. And I can't wait to find out what he chooses. Yeah, I know. That's a good one, babe. Thank you. I liked it. So excited for that movie. I've loved that story. I always found the kissing game thing so funny. Yeah. It's just such a weird relic of time. I I Uh, can't wait to watch it. I am so stoked. Because I don't know how they're going to adapt it, a lot of those parts. Because, like, the Green Knight coming in is like, I'm going to chop your head off. And he's like, oh, someone... Come come at me, and you chop his head off, and he like holds it up. I see how like that could be cool, spooky war. I'm right. just how are they going to do the girdle thing and like the kissy game and all that? I wonder, I'm excited. I wonder if they're going to try and focus on why I the think, Green Knight was sent in the first place. I think they are. I think they're going to because uh, in that video we watched, it had the mother. What? Yeah, it had Morgan Le Fay. Yeah, that's her. And she she is mentioned in the story, obviously, but I think she yeah she's going to be a much more central character, and I think the journey to the Green Knight is going to be a much bigger deal. Right. You know, he's going to face a lot more challenges. They're going to add some challenges and stuff. But I'm very excited. I think it'll be really cool. Yeah. But that's enough for me today. So why don't we uh, pull over off this road to retention and pull up to the rest stop of things you might not have known. Just tell us what we haven't known until now. What? Grammar? Huh? Whatever. <laughs> tell gonna, us. So I want to take some time to talk about my boys in the past. So, more specifically, I'm going to be talking about Paul a little bit. So, we first meet Paul in New Moon, where he and Jacob have that fantastic fight Mm -hmm. where Bella first sees Jacob transform into a wolf. Um, If you recall, Bella antagonized Paul when she went down down to La Push that day. I recall Paul. (laughs) Causing him to lose his cool, which Jacob then transforms in order to protect Bella from Paul's lack of control. Beyond that scene, the most we know about Paul is that he is close with Sam and that he has a temper. So, let's get into it. (laughs) Paul was born in Tacoma, Washington, and he lived there up until his parents got a divorce uh, when he was eight. When that happened, his father took him back to La Push, where Paul remains for, you know, indefinitely. So now Paul wasn't close with either Sam or Jared prior to the transformation, Mm -hmm. Um, despite being in the same grade as Jared. He had his own group of friends, though, and, you know, was doing just fine until he transformed. Now, with the information I've gleaned, I want to say that Paul was the third person to transform just behind Sam and Jared. Mm -hmm. Um, When this happened, it drew a bit of attention because Paul suddenly stopped hanging out with his normal friends and became inseparable from Sam. And the main reason for this, though, was because Paul had a really difficult grasp on his anger issues. Yeah, clearly. Um, But the normies at the res just Mm -hmm. assumed it was a gang forming. I mean... Kind of is. It is. Um, So, Paul can't stop ripping through his clothes every time he gets (laughs) angry. So, Sam has to make sure to stay close by to make sure that these moments only took place in private. Because, you know, gestures at Emily's ruined face. (laughs) Quote, unquote, ruined face. Oh, God. Meyer said that. I don't agree with that sentiment. You know what? I believe the author. (laughs) Believe women. When the incident with Emily happened, Paul definitely began taking his temper issues much more seriously, though he still struggled with it more than any of the others did. The next big thing to happen in Paul's life is the imprinting. Mm. So Paul was the fourth member of the pack to imprint, which, you know, causes a little bit of uneasiness in the pack. As it would. Imprinting can be messy and complicated and takes away your free will. And it was supposed to be rare, but obviously it's not at this point. Anyways, Paul imprinted on Rachel, Jacob's sister, 
Uh, she'd been away at college for as long as possible due to her not wanting to be at home where the memories of her late mother were still strong and painful. Yeah. But, you know, here was this handsome wolf who adored her over everything. So it was difficult for her to figure out, like, what she wanted to do. She got a degree in computer engineering and had been offered a job that allowed her to work from home. So oh, she, 2020 of I know. So she started looking into apartments around Seattle or Portland, but decided to stay in La Push for a little while to see how things worked out with Paul. She ain't ever leaving La Push. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Well, uh, the imprinting took a huge toll on Paul. His self-control became much more important to him. And understanding what was important to Rachel also affected his priorities. He wanted to be able to give up phasing eventually, like entirely, once the vampire problem was under control so that he could go and travel with Rachel, which I think is very sweet. That's very sweet. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's it for Paul. Okay. So. What about Paul? Yeah. He obviously has a donkey laugh. Um, Yeah. As we've learned. A hee-haw. I guess some people find that endearing. Yeah. But all right. Well, that's great, babe. Yeah. We're in a lot about our little wolf boys. I know. So next week, we're going to get more of Jacob's chapters, mm-hmm. and I'm mm-hmm. excited to bring that to yeah, you. Yeah, it will be chapters 11, 12, 13. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we appreciate you guys. We love you guys. Uh, we can like us on Facebook, Insta, and our website, twilightpod.com. If you have a question or just want to say hi, you can message us at twilightpod at gmail.com. And our intro song is written by my friend Alex Chavez. You can check out more of his music on his own Facebook page, Vintage Attire Music. And as always, guys, remember, give the kisses that you are given. And don't suck. Bye. Me, Lord, thank you for the deer. Here's some kisses. Mm. I hope that's in the movie. I hope so too. It would be in mine.